head on over to the book of Amos in the Old Testament. You're going to find Amos between Joel and Obadiah. (laughs) You're going to find Amos between Psalm and Matthew. There you go. You will find Amos in your index. These poor, these poor minor prophets, man. Everybody's talking about epistles all the time. Uh, this morning we're going to begin a new series of studies. You know, we like to, if you, if you didn't notice, you know, we like to do different things at our different services here at the church. On Sunday mornings right now we're studying through Genesis, through the life of Abraham. On Wednesday nights we're moving through Romans, which is an epistle, of course. Uh, just over a month ago, uh, you know, at this service, we finished a study through the Gospel of Mark, and so uh, it's time for a little prophecy. Uh, like with the Gospel of Mark, we're going to take this book chapter by chapter and, and take each passage then devotionally and try to pull out a few things uh, for our day. Both as a book and as a man, Amos is, is really very interesting. Um, if, if you're like me, I know we joke about it, but if you're like me, Especially if, like, say you were going to try to read through the Bible in a year, you, you get to Isaiah, and, you know, honestly, it's easy to get there and kind of take a deep breath and say, okay, got like 600 pages of judgment and woe coming, you know, and, and uh, sometimes it's hard for us to really connect with the prophetic books and the prophetic passages because we're not Jews, and, and we don't quite understand everything that was going on historically or culturally. Um, and, and certainly the theme of coming judgment and coming destruction is common to, the, to both the minor and major prophets. God was sending them to warn his people and other people. However, there's really a lot that we can understand from these books, both for our own lives uh, and to learn about the nature of God, to see his heart and to understand how he feels about us, how he feels about our lives. And so they're good books. Uh, Amos is no exception. In fact, compared to most of the other prophets... Uh, we're really given a lot of information about who he was and where he was from, and that's really helpful to us as we read his book, which was written over 2,500 years ago. So, I mean, this is an old book, um, and it's really helpful that we get some extra information about him. Uh, It was the time of the divided kingdom, Israel in the north and, and Judah in the south. It was before the Babylonian captivity in what is sometimes called the Assyrian Age. It was the years around the time that the, of the Assyrian captivity of Israel in 722 B.C. Now, Amos was sent by God about the same time that Jonah was sent out to Nineveh to preach the gospel to the Assyrians. And so God was busy working. He sent Jonah out, and uh, he was sending other prophets out to other places. In fact, during this general time period, God raised up five specific prophets whose book, books we have in the Bible. God sent Jonah to the Assyrians, who were sort of the ruling empire at the time. Uh, We're very familiar with his story and with his book. To Judah, the kingdom in the south, and Israel, the kingdom in the north, God sent Micah, Isaiah, Hosea, and Amos. They were all between about 770 B.C. and 690 B.C., sort of contemporaries with one another during this general time period. Now, here's what we learn about Amos, starting in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, The words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now, uh, well, hang on a second. Drop down all the way to verse 14 of chapter 7. 
a few swipes or pages. We learn a little bit more detail about Amos from his own lips. Amos 7.14 says this, Then Amos answered the wicked priest and said, I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Uh, now this is really interesting information. The earthquake thing is kind of interesting, but you know Josephus had an idea about which earthquake he was referring to, and you know you, you can compare Second Kings and Second Chronicles and, and these things, but we don't actually know what <laughs> earthquake he, they were referring to. But first of all, we learn that Amos was a man from Judah who worked as a shepherd and a fruit farmer. Uh, one day as he was living his life, the, the Lord called him out to deliver a message to the people of Israel. Now, it's often said um, that Amos' prophecies were for the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, based upon the fact that in the front part of his book, when he's delivering the bulk of the prophecies, you know, the longest portion of the prophecy concerns the ten tribes in the northern kingdom. However, you know, for a couple of reasons, I disagree that Amos was sent to the North Kingdom alone. You know, he was just sent to Israel. Uh, for one thing, the opening verse says, these are the words of the Lord given to Amos for the people of Israel, and then it lists both the kings, the king of Judah and the king of Israel. And he talks about Judah. He has a prophecy for Judah um, in, in the opening passages. Um, the northern kingdom was a focus of his message, certainly, but the Lord gave him words to speak to a number of nations around the Israelites, Gentiles. He, he gave them uh, a message for the G people in Judah, the people of Israel in the north. And his message was for all of God's people. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt. And so the kingdom was divided politically, but the Lord had a single message for all of his people. Amos was called out by God right where he was and given a message to people both near and far. He was given a message for brothers and strangers, for Jews and Gentiles. And we'll find that his message is both poetic and systematic. It, it speaks to whole kingdoms, but also to individuals. It reveals the fact that God is a God of justice and vengeance but also that he is a God of personal mercy and grace. And one angle that we want to take when we look at these chapters, you know, devotionally speaking, is Amos as a messenger, as the man who's been called out by God to go and deliver a message, learning from his faithfulness and his dedication to the word of God, seeing how God used this shepherd for nine years to bring his truth into the world and to warn people about the results of their sin. Uh, Amos' name actually means burden bearer, the bearer of the burden. And everything we learn about him reminds us of the calling that we have received as Christians to carry the word, to sow it where we're going through life, both to Jew and Gentile, to brothers and strangers near and far, to deliver God's message of righteousness, even when it's incredibly unpopular, being willing to go where God sends and do what he says, having compassion on those who are headed towards judgment. All of these things we're going to see in this faithful messenger who was called out by God from the life he was living to do a very great and very spiritual work. But the other side of this book that we need to deal with in these studies is the message itself. You know, um, because the target of this book wasn't just the Ninevites. It wasn't just the Ammonites. It was uh, God's people. God was bringing a very personal and a very intense message to his very people. They had moved into sin as a nation 
uh, as two nations, really, and as individuals, they were also not honoring the Lord in their practices. And God speaks to them about these sins, both corporate and private. Uh, throughout the book, there is a theme we're going to see of how God's people are to treat the poor around them. But that isn't the only message of the book of Amos. This isn't just a message about how God views the impoverished, though it is, and that's an important part that we'll look at. Uh, but also, it talks to us about our other practices and our other principles as believers, all sorts of things, how we worship, how we conduct business, things going on in our private lives, and the responsibility we have to pursue what God calls justice and his calling on our lives. And it's really very interesting to see, as we're going to see, how the Lord structures his message to his people, because really the bulk of the message is to his people, uh, even though Amos has things to say about some other nations as well. Now, and what God does is he sends Amos, and he, and he gives him this message, and he be begins by going through six different kingdoms that are all outside of Israel. And, and he exposes the sins of each of those kingdoms and talks about their coming judgment. And they were things that we're going to see that the, the people of Israel, the, God's people, would undoubtedly have nodded their heads in agreement to him and like, yeah, you did this, and this is what is going to happen, and, and this is the way you treated God's people, and so judgment's going to come on you. And they would have agreed with these first six statements that Amos makes. Uh, he talks about what these different kingdoms had done to the Jews and how they were worthy of destruction. Moab and Tyre and Edom and Ammon and these other nations. But what's interesting, it, uh, people smarter than me took a map and they charted the, the, uh, the order of the messages to the different six kingdoms. And with each kingdom, the Lord spirals in closer to his own people, Israel and Judah. It goes in an actual spiral until it comes down to his very own people. He moves closer and closer geographically to Israel and to Judah. And then after exposing what the kingdoms of the world had done, he looks at his own people and he says, yeah, you guys too. Uh, I'm going to talk to you as well. Your sin doesn't get a free pass. The things that you're doing, in fact, are worse than what the th people of the world are doing because you know better and the people of the world don't really know any better. Uh, your sin is destroying you. And the difference is that God has to bring discipline on his people in order to correct what was going on. You know, the Lord says in this book, hey, I tried tactic after tactic to get your attention. I tried method after method to convince you to return to me, to turn your ways to me, but you continued building up this crooked kingdom, and now I have to bring discipline onto you. And in this book, God explains, as H.A. Ironside puts it, how responsibility flows from relationship. And that's a good thing to learn about and remember. Because of the relationship that God has with his people, both us and with Israel, he will keep us from building a crooked life. Amos 3.2 You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. So what we find here is that God doesn't delight in punishing his people. Again and again he said to them, hey, turn to me and live, turn to me and live, stop doing what you're doing turn toward me so that I don't have to do what I'm about to do to you. However, the people of Israel continually built crookedly. They continually moved away from the Lord and into their iniquity. And all the while, they were still bringing their songs and their sacrifices and their tithes into the temple. And the Lord talks to them about that. God says this, Amos 2, 10 through 13. 
It was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is it not so, O you children of Israel, says the Lord? But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Do not prophesy. Behold, I'm weighed down by you as a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. In many ways, what we see the Lord expounding upon and describing in this book reminds me of the parable of the two men who built houses, one upon the rock and one upon the sand. The problem is that we as God's people sometimes will give in to sin and we start building our lives or our habits upon the sand. And when that happens, because the Lord loves us, he chastens us. And he's going to correct that behavior. He's going to knock down that crooked building. Because his desire is that we walk with him, as he says in Amos 3.3, 3, can two walk together unless they are agreed? And so that's the whole point. God says, hey, I want to walk with you, and I want you to walk with me. Of all the families of the earth, I've called you to walk with me, and we can't walk together if we're not agreed. And so it's, it's a book of correction, and, uh, and as we read you know, this book, the message that Amos delivers is all about being aligned with God. Literally, literally, in fact. At one point we read this. Amos 7, 7, 8. Thus God showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. I really love this image, and that's kind of going to be the focus of, of our series, is the idea of the plumb line and being plumb with God. Because God has a wall there, and it's sort of a picture of the life that we are constructing, the, that which we are building uh, here on the earth. And in the midst of his people, God drops his plumb line in, and he says, okay, there it is. I'm leaving my standard right in front of you to measure with, to see what you're building and to align yourself with what I've asked you. And in this picture, we see that God is giving us a direction and an alignment to build our lives upon. Plumb lines determine what is truly vertical. And uh, I think that's an interesting picture. They, they determine if that vertical line is being built straight or if it isn't being built straight, if it's being crooked and untrue. God's plumb line is going to show me if I'm building upward toward him or if I'm building outward on the earth for Myself. And that's what God's people in the text were doing. They were prosperous. They were strong from an earthly perspective. They were enterprising and lucrative. You can read about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 if you want you know, some historical background. But there was nothing vertical about their lives. They weren't building up towards God at all. There was no depth in the relationship that they had with the Lord. Uh, plumb lines were also used on, on seafaring ships for you know, a time, and they were cast to determine depth depth of the water and, and the Israelites had taken all that God had said and all that God had done and all that God desired for their lives and they had taken their own witness and their own spiritual activity and they just tossed it all aside in favor of building outward instead of upward in favor of luxury and personal wealth and earthly pleasures and after much long suffering and after extending his grace again and again it got to the point where the Lord said okay we cannot walk together anymore you and I do not agree Anymore, You're moving in a completely different direction than I want you to move in the, the direction that I'm moving. And uh, I've got to shake you from what you've done to yourself. An earthquake, both literal and you know, figurative, is coming. 
So while our first purpose is to be stirred up by the example of Amos the messenger, we also want to be submitted to the message that he was given, allowing God to drop his plumb line into our lives and evaluate our vertical build. Because we've been called out and raised up by God, just like Amos. He was a guy who spent time with sheep and sycamore trees, but one day he was made a prophet in God's kingdom. It reminds me a lot of all the guys that Jesus called out, and he said, hey, follow me, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You were a fisherman before, you were a tax collector before, you were this or that before, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And that's the same idea. He did it in the Old Testament, he did it in the New Testament, he does it for us today. So we'll see that God has invited us into a special relationship. But with that special relationship comes a very special responsibility. If we want the, the, the blessing and the direction that God gives in that relationship, we also have to accept the fact that God disciplines those that he loves. And we have a responsibility to walk with God, to agree with God, and to make straight the ways of the Lord. Uh, to see how diverting and destructive sin is in our lives and how to align ourselves with the plumb line that God has drawn and set before us. And so we want to be plumb. That's what we're looking at in this, these studies. God has given us a direction to build. He's given an alignment to guide us. He's taken us out of the lives we had so that we can bear his message to those near and far. We're called out by his name, and we've got to build vertically toward him today. So Amos is going to show us how I'm excited about that. So we'll begin with chapter 1 next week. So read ahead and uh, see how the Lord would help us make our ways straight.